0: Welcome back to Let's Talk Sales, the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. For today's episode, we are re-airing a conversation between Marcus Chan and Elizabeth Frederick that was recorded back in August of 2021. Head to criteriaforsuccess.com pod318 to get this episode's show notes. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Sales, and we hope you enjoy this discussion on lead generation. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I know you will really enjoy hearing from today's guest. He is the founder and president of Venley Consulting Group, which specializes in helping businesses, sales professionals, sales leaders, and anyone else in sales supercharge their results through high-performance training and coaching systems. He's the creator of the Six-Figure Sales Academy. He's an executive member of the Forbes Business Council, and he's been recognized by Salesforce as one of the top sales influencers to follow. So you might have actually already heard of him. We'll see. (laughs) He is based in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to the show, Marcus Chan.
1: Hey, Elizabeth, I'm excited to be here. I have a feeling we're going to have some fun today.
0: I do as well. So I'm so glad that you could join me. And I just shared you know, those high-level bullets that people can find on your resume or on your LinkedIn, but that's not all you are as a person. So I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm Marcus Chan, a family of Endly consulting group, and uh, uh, I'm pretty excited to be here. This is a business that I've been running for about 21 months, in which I do exactly what you mentioned, which is help B two B sales professionals and sales leaders and entrepreneurs essentially just crush it in sales and explode the revenue targets. Now, before I did this, I was in corporate America for uh, over 14 years. And I start at the very bottom, outside, B2B sales, carrying the bag, cold calling, door knocking, all those things. Mm-hmm. And that's where I initially started in sales. Um, and I actually never wanted to be in sales. So me having a career now and coaching leaders and people and helping businesses is a little bit odd for me. Uh, But back then when I first started in sales, I struggled. I really struggled in sales. I definitely was one of the worst reps. I eventually figured it out from there and then got promoted multiple times. And that led to my career in B2B sales to lead massive teams of over 100 plus employees doing Multiple nine figures a year in revenue, winning all types of awards, etc. So, uh, it put me in a position to be able to essentially retire early and start my own business, in which now I focus directly with helping sales professionals and leaders absolutely crush their revenue targets. So, I have learned to absolutely love sales and what I've also realized with sales is when you really can master sales, it allows you to develop so many amazing skills Mm. that can just help you really in any facet of your life, even if you're not a sales professional. And I'm a firm believer, uh, if you choose to be in a sales career and you really master the art of being able to prospect and sell, influence others, you can actually make a greater impact on other people's lives, but also create a life for yourself you never thought possible. So that's the beautiful part about sales. That's why I do what I do because ultimately it helps people make a greater impact on the lives around them as well.
0: That is such a powerful story. Um, Really reminded me one of our core values here at Criteria for Success is sales is a personal and highly profitable adventure. And it really sounds like that's, that's the story you were telling. I love that you mentioned that you struggled at first because some people get into sales consulting and training and coaching. They're like, yeah, I've been selling since you know I was born. I had a lemonade stand and it's always been easy for me. And to a certain extent, yes, you're gonna have lots of stories and examples in that case. But if you had to struggle, you had to really learn what works, and you know the frustration of you know making tons and tons of cold calls and not having anybody answer the phone, and just looking at your goal and thinking I am never going to be able to achieve it. So I'd imagine it makes it so you can kind of better relate to the clients that you work with.
1: Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. You know, I re- I remember uh, when I first got into sales and. I also, from my family's background, you know, they, you know, you know, you, you can't tell because this isn't audio, but I'm Asian. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell by my last name. And, you know, my parents, they wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, an engineer, or something that they consider more prestigious. So, mm-hmm. you know, going into sales already, already felt weird and just kind of uncomfortable for me to sales and do that. So going into sales and then struggling was not something I really wanted to admit early on. And it was really tough for me to accept that because, you know, I remember especially early on at family gatherings, people say, hey, what are you doing now? I'm like, oh, I'm in sales. And they look, kind of look at me sadly and be like, oh, <laughs> what do you
0: really want to do?
1: Yeah, i like, what do you really want to do? I'm like, oh. Um, and then, of course, when I was really struggling, especially the first several months, and it was tough because uh, the, the recession was, uh, was about to hit as well. This is back mm-hmm. in 2007. So, you know, businesses were shutting down and job security was very, you know, it it was very, uh, it was was unstable time, really. Uh And I remember just struggling and just second guessing myself and having that very, very tiny base salary and living in my tiny apartments and worrying about money, worrying about my future and just worrying about all these things that I wanted to do. And you just just feel bad for yourself. You feel bad for yourself. You second guessing yourself. And you're just unsure of yourself. And that's a terrible feeling. And I remember those times of not having the money, the finances, not having the confidence. And I remember how tough it was. And I think to today's time, and there are some people who are in the same boat where they're second guessing themselves that they should even be in sales. So they're looking to other departments, divisions, other roles, and they're, they're second guessing themselves. And the reality is, is I know we all have the grains within us if we have figured it out already or if we know what to do. If we have the right knowledge coupled with consistent actions, it can be an incredibly lucrative career for other people as well. And that's what I was able to figure out too. So that's why I'm able to relate so well to people who are struggling, whether it's entrepreneurs trying to sell more or or reps or whomever, because at one point I was there and I almost quit sales too. (laughs) I remember those feelings.
0: (laughs) Definitely. Um, I love that you brought up that time because I think you and I are probably around the same age we've been in the professional world, the same amount of time. I actually started this job at Criteria for Success in 2008, and uh, sales was difficult then. <laughs> and something that um, that you and I have talked about before, but I think... Uh, Other people who maybe have started their careers in the last few years as things were getting maybe a little bit easier, haven't necessarily learned the same lessons that we had to learn the hard way. Um, Not at all saying that things were, you know, super easy, but um, there's definitely something about, you know, beginning a career in the recession and trying to figure out how to get people to buy things. So. I know that you have a lot of, obviously, you've got the history in sales, and now you're talking to even more people in sales. You're talking to business leaders, um, individual sales reps. What are some of the specific challenges that you're seeing people facing in today's market? Like we saw those challenges um, back in 2007, 2008.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'll say number one, um, lead generation is definitely mm-hmm. key. You know, I talked to a lot of lot of business owners or sales professionals in which, you know, I would say prior to probably the last couple of years, uh, you know, we were in a market for a while, a bull market for what's called for a decade at least, where
0: uh-huh.
1: inbound leads were quite fruitful.
0: Uh-huh. So
1: you had way more inbound leads. Uh, and because, you know, the, the economy was doing quite well, it was, even if they did outbound strategies, they were able to play, you know, even the old school numbers game. It mm-hmm. was okay if they burned they burned prospects through just high volume of calls and emails, you know, mass mass emails. Mm-hmm. It, it was okay for them because there was a lot of people out there who still had money, even if they burned other people out. Mm-hmm. And in to, in today's world now, or even when we, you and I started, we, when in that time frame when 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 there is instability in the marketplace, then people are scared and people are worried about investing and spending money. People are hesitant to jump on sales calls. People are hesitant to listen to opportunities. People are hesitant to make changes. So that time frame when you and I started selling, like we had to be able to squeeze out lemonade from rocks.
0: Uh-huh. Like we had to
1: find ways to generate opportunities when there was no inbound leads. Like I remember literally getting like zero inbound leads for months when I first started. And- I remember it was funny because uh, as I fought through and figured out how to sell and fortunately had a lot of success and, you know, grew multiple seven-figure operations and got promoted multiple times, I went to a whole new company in 2011. At that time, the economy was really starting to turn around, right? And and I remember Uh joining this company, which had a a, a better marketing system, the economy is getting better. They actually had inbound leads, not a lot, but more. So- I remember being shocked. <laughs> like, like a couple <laughs> weeks in, I had an inbound lead. I'm like, this is the easiest appointment ever. <laughs> like, I'm like, wow. And what is this I remember sorcery? Were,
0: <laughs> it was
1: sorcery, basically, right? And it was funny because I remember the first 12 weeks, most people typically would, at best, maybe close about $100,000 in about contract, you know, ACV, annual contract revenue, in about 12 week time. And, you know, and on average, they were decent. Mm-hmm. The same time frame, I closed half a million, and they couldn't. Figure, people couldn't figure out why. And I'm like, "Well, I have the, I have a couple of inbound leads, but also, like, I do a lot of outbound. Like, I was able to squeeze the rocks into lemonade, <laughs> right? But because the marketplace is doing better, right? People more open to conversations. So it's like if you prepare for the worst and expect the best, you can get better results. And I, I look at today's time. Because for those people who started selling over the last you know last decade or so, and they were able to you know start selling in a really good time to sell, and now when the leads are drying up, and there's not as many inbound leads, and people are more resistant, they're having trouble booking meetings. And literally, people they're, they're like, "Well, people don't have a need." Like they, they just think the timing is off. I'm like, "Yeah," because you have to create the need. Like mm. you have to create, you have to convert a latent need into an active need and if you only wait on active needs then you're not going to be able to hit the number you're going for you only, you can only go for the lowest hanging fruit so many sales professionals many leaders now they're they're stuck in this mode where depending if you look at the levels of awareness or Eugene Swartz's level of awareness they're just not aware they're not ready to to buy so they're just have they have no appointments but the top professionals are the ones who can Obviously, take advantage of the positivity of a great marketplace, but they also know how to go and generate top of the funnel work, even if it seems like it's a scary time to buy.
0: I some a story <laughs> popped into my head as you were talking, and I think you and I can probably see the same humor in it. I had a, a client that I was working with. This was in early two thousand eight, so things were starting to get kind of shaky, and you know they realized maybe we need some help with sales, so they they hire us, and they had so many referrals coming in that they weren't actually following up on referrals. Right. And it was just like, how, how, how? how? <laughs> you think of how many exactly companies right. would pay in like blood and gold to get referrals, like warm, happy referrals from happy customers. And they didn't even have the capacity to follow up on all the referrals they were getting because things were easy. That's and right. As everything started getting more difficult, they were like, Oh, yeah, some of these referrals have actually gone cold. (laughs) But we've got to kind of bring them back to life, because at least that's easier than making cold calls. And it, you know, so many businesses, maybe don't realize that you don't have as much of a sales function as you think you do, you have an order management function. And you've got people who are really, really good at taking orders and at closing business. And that's a skill right? It's a necessary skill, but it is a completely different skill to actually generate leads.
1: That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's one of those things where you have to be consistent with it to p- develop mm-hmm. a really good lead flow constantly. Um, because you know, if you wait till the economy is tough or if the funnel dries up, you know, it becomes very tough because even some of the referrals that even that company mentioned, mm-hmm. if they just let those build up and they never follow up on it. And then once times or time they follow up on it, well, it's probably not as warm anymore. Mm-hmm. Now it's like they may have already fulfilled the need, their shift their needs of change, change of decision makers. There's so much stuff that just happens as a result of just waiting too long.
0: Absolutely. So I I actually wanna kind of keep going on lead gen because I feel like this, like you said, it's the number one Challenge that we're seeing from so many organizations, and um, it's it's it has changed so much. You know, you have a lot of people who sold. And, and they could be really effective, warm salespeople. Maybe they'd show up at a first meeting and they'd bring donuts. And, and yes, it's a cliche, but that, that's not a bad thing. You know, it's not like, it's not, it's not that it's not a good skill, but you can't show up on some, you know, somebody's house and knock on the door and be like, I have donuts for a Zoom meeting. (laughs) It'd be a little bit weird. And so a lot of the, the techniques that people have developed over the years that have served them well really aren't serving them in this time. What are some of the, the ways that you're specifically seeing lead gen changing the, the, the techniques and the, and the best practices that you're seeing that used to work that aren't working anymore or vice versa?
1: Yeah. So, you know, the mistake a lot of people make is they say, you know what, I'm going to keep doing what I currently do, Mm -hmm. whatever they're doing, which is usually probably for most part, probably not adequate enough. Um, And really you have to do, you have to create an omnipresent approach like you have to be omnipresent meaning you have to be everywhere i mean in today's world like before you meet with someone you're probably going to get googled your mm-hmm. company maybe you do you actually have a legitimate online presence so people actually know you're actually worth their time mm-hmm. and that's really key and a lot a lot of times people like people say well i got a website like yeah but you're on the, like the ninth page of google Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really truly serve you. So what that means is you need to be able to be omnipresent with omni-channel approach. And that means on every single channel, people can look you up and people know very quickly, are you actually worth their time? Can you truly help them? Mm -hmm. That's incredibly powerful because then from there, if you do it right – you're able to actually to hit them from multiple angles and really warm them up and move them through your sales funnel before you even have a conversation with them. Mm. And that takes some skill. So let me let me get really specific here because it sounds all cool and gravy, but like I'll, I'll give you an example. <laughs> I'll give you an example here, right? So um, and I'll give you a real-time example of a client, you know, we just brought recently. All right. So Uh, you know, this guy entered into one of my sales funnels, like over a year ago, like, you know, Mm -hmm. we, we have, I think we probably scraped his information and, you know, we put him through a cold email sequence, you know, opened the emails, never responded, never, never did anything with us. Right now, because we're very strategic, we're also connected with him on LinkedIn. So now he's seen our content. Right, he starts getting nurtured by our content on LinkedIn, from our posts to our stories. Eventually, he joins our free Facebook group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, he joins our free Facebook group as well. And eventually, he, he gets nurtured by that free content inside there. On top of that, he's also clicked on some of our links in the past, in which we have put pixels on there for Facebook advertising. So now mm-hmm. he's seen our face. Oliver's Facebook and his Instagram, <laughs> different advertisements designed to generate awareness. <laughs> Again, warming him up even more and more and more, all right, to eventually opt into a different sales funnel of ours, getting hit with a 30 email sequence, all right, to eventually, you know, booking a call and becoming a client pretty quickly as a result mm-hmm. once he booked a call. So, and I share that with you because he saw us on so many different like like platforms from all the social media platforms to even his email. I mean, if he had Googled us at any point, he might have seen our Google ads or whatever, but it's a, a, this, this approach right here is an omni-channel approach. This is 2021. This is how you are able to get in the minds of your prospects by being able to be everywhere. In that way, you were able to book these meetings, and that's even a longer example. Because we have people, we 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 have broken it down to a science. Where on average, fourteen days from initial outreach, that person becomes a paying client. Hmm. So we have it down to a science now on everything that we do. That's in general core. Because obviously, there's obviously there's uh, deltas, <laughs> and, and there's there's a, there's like there's other ones as well that aren't uh, always within fourteen days. But you get my point. It's that omni-channel approach you have to have to be able to, you know, put that per- the position yourself as the expert and truly be able to help them with your offer.
0: Absolutely. It's something that I think companies have become, you know, more and more aware of over the last few years, just that buyers are feeling more empowered. And I think that's actually a good thing. You know, it's as a buyer, if you feel like you can access a lot of information and can make an informed decision, you're going to be more confident in moving forward. You're not going to feel like, oh, is the sales rep trying to trick me? Um, Are there a lot of things that they know that I don't know? And so. As a, as an organization, you know, as a company, if you can provide that information, if you can make it easy for people to find out about you, I'm imagining that in the Facebook group and in the emails that you're sending and in the resources, you're not just sell, sell, selling. Instead, you're actually sharing information and demonstrating value and really um, showing the experience that somebody would have once they become a client you know, we're not all working at companies like Google or Apple that everybody will have heard of. (laughs) And people have to have to see you over and over and over again. Like you said, they have to start to associate, oh, this person, this company, they have good stuff. Um, They have a really, they have an approach that I like, that I resonate with. They, They produce good content. And it's, It's so incredibly important, not just as you're saying, you know, for the, for the company, for the organization, but the buyer really does notice that. And it's, it's the difference between, you know, if I see something recommended and I Google and it doesn't show up right away, I'm like, "Eh." (laughs) versus, Mm -hmm. you know, it shows up, it's got a good presence. I'm like, Ooh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, you know, ultimately I, I picture at the end of the day, when you think about the psychology of a buyer, the biggest concern any buyer has, whether it's a one dollar item or something's a million dollars, anything in between, really, even beyond that, people don't want to have buyer's remorse. Right? Mm-hmm. They don't want to buy something and be like, ah, oh, I wasted my money. So this is where, when I think about it, even the principles of you know what we're talking about here, it's been around for ye- for like you know, like, you know hundreds mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. years. Think about it, even even when you go to like a Costco, right? Back when they used to have you know when Costco still did samples. You would sample the food and then you'd buy it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you're basically sampling content, if you will, and then buying it. In today's world, you just do it virtually. So when you, when you are able to provide an online presence of like pure value and content, you show people you actually know what you're talking and can truly help them, and it's a value, that's incredibly powerful of positioning yourself as the expert authority to be able to help them. So let's just say, for example, maybe you work for uh, a small company, and let's just say you sell whatever—I don't; it doesn't really matter. You sell some sort of, ca- you know, you know, capital equipment, all right? And you, you maybe you target like, you know, I don't know. Let's just say doctors. If you target doctors and you sell some sort of capital equipment for doctors' offices, and you know you have the initial meeting, you didn't close it, and you're trying to follow up instead of just follow up, you know ready to buy, ready to buy, ready to buy. It
0: gets a little boring.
1: It gets a little boring. Instead, like, does your company create content that could be of high value for your target market? It doesn't even have to be on your product specifically. But something uh-huh. that solves problems. So that's why if you guys put together an article, or maybe you you uncover periodicals that are important for that industry and you're 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 reaching out and now you're saying, hey, listen, you hey so-and-so, you know, I came across this article. I thought you might find it really valuable for you guys. It can have nothing to do with you, but now you're showcasing that you're of value, you truly understand them. And obviously, if your company creates that content, it's even more powerful because now you can really showcase the expertise. So that way, once timing is right or something does happen and they're ready to, to make an investment, they're thinking of you because you've been top of mind.
0: Absolutely. Um, and something that that I really want to hone in on, and I like that you shared kind of two examples, you know, one where it maybe took a year and somebody was encountering you in so many places. And then you've got some that are, you know, a couple of weeks. the The amount of individual effort on your part for each one is gonna be probably about the same from what I'm hearing. It's That's not right. like you have somebody who's calling someone every week for a year or sending them a personal individual email every week for a year. So there's that initial lift in putting together all of these email flows and the Facebook group and you know whatever other you know content systems you have. And then there's some incremental work on an ongoing basis, keeping it fresh. But it's not like every person on the sales team has to be coming up with all of these nurturing emails. And I know myself, and I'm sure you as well, you open your email every day. And it's, did you get my prior email? Um, I'm not sure if you if you noticed the email that I sent you two weeks ago that you didn't (laughs) ask me for, and you didn't ask me to remind you about it, but I'm reminding you about it. And they have nothing to say. And I feel bad for those salespeople. If if their organizations gave them good content to send me, at least I might be a little more tempted to read it. (laughs)
1: told so you are totally right.
0: The effort is is not as overwhelming as it might sound to people when they hear, "Oh my goodness, it takes a year of, of you know following up," or "I must be like super on top of them for fourteen days." It, it's probably what three four interactions at most in terms of yeah. individual custom um, with a real person sort of interactions.
1: Yeah, there is so much stuff you can systemize these days to be able to have a repeatable system. You know, it's like, it's like. If, for example, you can look at your company and see maybe they do create some content, maybe some videos, maybe some blog posts, whatever. And you can just choose, hey, what are five or ten really good pieces that are useful, <laughs> and mm-hmm. that can be your go-to bucket. And in reality, is is even for, with the, the customization of an email. Obviously, the more hyper personalizing email is going to be typically you can have a better conversion, etc. However, you could also create templates that are eighty percent dialed. And then that 20% is personalized. Mm-hmm. So now you have a bulk of the work dialed and you just do a little bit of customization to make sure it's really relevant to them. Because obviously you don't want to send you an know, email sent that's not relevant. It's really quite a waste of time. So make it relevant <laughs> and make sure it's good.
0: Yeah. And I, I love that example because um, I was talking to a client last week and the vice president of an entire division was drafting content for emails for her team. I was like, "This is the biggest waste of time I have ever heard of," <laughs> and yeah. and a lot of it was there. There were there are reasons. There's always reasons, right? But if if you feel like you have to constantly come up with new things to say, that might be because you're not understanding the deep business problems of the people that you're selling to. Because if you do. You can have a lot of kind of evergreen content that you're consistently going back to talking about those core problems. And yes, the specific solution for an individual client might be custom and might include some newer things, but most businesses are solving very distinct problems for very distinct types of people, <laughs> and it's just a matter of really, really understanding what those are, and then having messaging, having content around that. So it's it's maybe not as complicated as um, as it could be if if you really have that understanding of who it is that you're selling to.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Where I think it's at the end of the day, you can keep it very, very simple. Like <clears throat> let's just say, for example, maybe you're a business owner or founder. And you're like, okay, I'm not even sure where to start. Like, like you know, oh man, like all you have to do is just think back to if you have an existing base customers, your last 10 clients you brought on, uh-huh. what were the top two, three problems each were dealing uh-huh.
0: with?
1: <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> Chances are pretty good. You're going to have a bucket of maybe three to five really core common issues of why they chose you to solve them. And now you know how to create some content around those specifically to address those. And that can be incredibly powerful.
0: Definitely. And something that's always interesting when it comes to that too, is that you might discover, oh my goodness, people have, you know, these, these three core problems that we're solving. There's a related problem that they have that we're not solving and we could pretty easily solve. Maybe we should expand our offering. And also there's this problem we solved for two of those last 10 clients and it was unpleasant for us. The, you know, it was not cost effective. It just didn't go so well. Um, maybe we should not be targeting that one. And so really having that ability to just look back and analyze. Um, so often we're just like rushing from one thing to the next and not just taking a moment to sit down and take a look at the business and really see the trends and see what's happening. And there's a lot of value in things. Just like you said, look at your, your last 10 clients. If you really do that, there's, there's a lot of good stuff in there.
1: Hundred percent right. I mean it's it's called the feedback loop. It's like you take the data, you analyze the data, <laughs> you gather conclusions based off the data, and then you make different decisions. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. And and that's and that's so key where and whether you're a sales professional or a leader, you can do the same thing. And I think you bring up such a great point where you have to have metrics that you measure as well. So this way you can make data based decisions that are actually real factual decisions versus how you feel. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, for example, I see, I, you know, I to talk to a rep who's like, oh, and they're like, oh, I have a great closing ratio. I'm super great at closing. And then you do a deep dive and you uncover, they think they're really good at closing and maybe they are actually good at closing and maybe they have, they they think they have like a 50% closing ratio. But then when you do a deep dive, you uncover they're all inbound leads Mm -hmm. and any of the outbound leads, they're not able to close. So suddenly you have some transparency to that. Or perhaps they're only basing that closing ratio off of uh, you know, places they made offers to, not to how many discovery calls they went on, which stems from maybe they went on a lot of discovery calls and not many converting to a demo. So suddenly it's like, okay, you have a targeting issue or a qualification issue. So you think you have a high closing ratio, but you actually don't because your target is actually totally off.
0: Yeah, you, um, you might have set me off here because I will say my first job after college <laughs> was in data integrity. I am all about database integrity. And <laughs> it is amazing how many salespeople are in organizations that allow them to enter an opportunity only like <gasps> once you sent the proposal. Right. And then they're like, I close all my opportunities. it's like, well, yeah, because you're only putting them in when you send a proposal. And there's a whole bunch of meetings you went on that you never sent a proposal to. And if you you aren't tracking this stuff, you're missing out on a lot of ability to analyze the skill set of your team in an accurate way. Because like you said, um, and even I've had clients where when they actually look at the numbers, there will be somebody on the team who seems like a stereotypically good salesperson. And I'm not saying they're not performing, but you know, they're, you know, they're friendly, they're outgoing, everybody likes them, and they they close some big deals, and everybody thinks, oh, that must be the top salesperson. And then you run the actual numbers, and there's somebody who's maybe a little quieter and sells in a little bit of a different way, and maybe sells a lot more small deals or sells fewer but big deals or whatever it is, and they're, you know, doubling outperforming <laughs> that right. what you perceive as the top sales rep. And so often we have these gut feelings. Just based on stereotypes, based on expectations, mm-hmm. based on the limited things that we can see and experience. And having the, the reality check of actually looking at the numbers can be incredibly helpful. And, um, and then analyzing, you know, are the numbers correct, as we've just been talking about?
1: That's right. Absolutely right.
0: So we've been talking a lot about kind of at a company level how to put together uh, a lead generation, and omnipresent strategy. Something I'm wondering if we could talk about as well is, so maybe I'm an individual sales rep in an organization, and whether or not they have the best omnipresent strategy, I still have been told I should be social selling. Or I have the inclination that social selling would be a good thing for me to pursue, but I don't know where to start. What are some of the foundational best practices you would recommend for individuals who are really looking to better um, their social selling?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll make a couple of assumptions here. So number one, the assumption is um, obviously you have a good proven, vetted offer. That's really key. Uh, Number two, also... um, You know, that you actually know who your ICP, your ideal customer profile is. Uh You know all the key demographics, but also their psychographics. You know, what drives them, what are their desires, pains, wants, you know, et cetera. You also know those things too. That's really, really key. Um, And then also three, you also want to know where do they hang out, And Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is when you look at social media platforms, uh, all of them, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse, LinkedIn, which one is your ICP, ideal customer profile, most active on? Now, Mm -hmm. they might be on all of them, which is totally fine. But the way you want to picture each platform is it's like a big blue ocean and only certain parts of the ocean are where your target market can hang out. So where within that ocean are are they swimming? All right. So if you're, if you're hunting, I don't know, uh, a great white shark, which like, maybe that's illegal to hunt great white sharks, but you get my point. <laughs> if, you're, if you're trying to <laughs> fish for great white sharks, you want to go to the bodies of water where they hang out. All right. Uh-huh. So what that means is, let's just say if it's on LinkedIn, where on LinkedIn are they hanging out? You have over 300 million active users on LinkedIn. Out of that is going to be a small percentage of your target market, where are they hanging out? So you want to understand where they're hanging out, okay? That's from who do they follow, who are the influencers they follow, who are, uh, which hashtags do they actually utilize, which ones do they follow as well, are they active in LinkedIn groups, wherever they are at, you want to know that too. That's require a little bit of research. That's, a, that's the first thing you want to do. Now, the second thing you want to do before you start to do any type of outreach is you want to make sure your profile is highly optimized. Uh-huh. And what I mean by that is when you start doing any type of outreach on any platform, the first thing they're going to do is look at your profile. They're uh-huh. going to check out your profile. And they want to know a couple things. Number one, are you a spammer? Uh-huh. <laughs> and number two, are you legitimate? Can you actually provide them value? They want to know if you actually are a real person, not a fake profile, and not gonna try to sell them Bitcoin or Forex or whatever. All right, so mm-hmm. they want to know that. So that means a couple basic things get really tactical here. Like, do you have a good headshot? Do you look does it look professional? Does it, does it look like the, the the person that you want? They want to work with. So it's important to understand here. Um, this is why I call the uh, something about Mary effect. So if you ever watched that movie, Something About Mary, mm-hmm. Mary in that movie, everyone is in love with her. Mm-hmm. All right, from attitude, personality, to how she looks, everything, like, you know, er- everything, everything about her, everyone loves. And you need to create that same persona for your target market to love you on your profile, mm-hmm. right? From attitude, how you – like, even how you, like, dress. So, for example, um, if you're targeting more casual industry and you're wearing a full suit and tie, you might totally turn some people off if that's your profile picture. Mm-hmm. So versus, you know, maybe they want they want to see someone in a poll or whatever. So whatever that's gonna be, you want to every single piece from your banner to your headline to uh your uh, your uh your about section to your your job history to every single piece on there. And ultimately, what you want to think about is that profile is like a sales page.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If they were to take time to consume every piece of every line of content on there, Are they at least bought into you that you can be of value to them? Really important. And that can be, and you can incorporate so many, I mean, like LinkedIn by itself, is so powerful because you incorporate so many things on there from Mm -hmm. testimonials, screenshot, links to things, proof, you know, recommendations. I mean, there's so much you can do. That's why I love LinkedIn for that reason. So just make sure it's highly optimized because ultimately it's, Bait, right? It's bait for wh- who you're gonna hunt for. Okay, so really, really key. So make sure the proposal is highly optimized. All right. Now, number two, what you are, number three, uh, what you want to do next is now you want to start approaching and and, find, and and hanging out where your target market's hanging out. Really key. So if they are hanging out on influencer posts, and what I mean by hanging out is, you know, where do they spend their time? Where are their eyeballs? Mm-hmm. Where the attention goes, money flows. So you need to go where the attention is first before you start attracting attention. So for example, let's just say uh, you uh, maybe you target um, IT, you know, C, you know CTOs, if you will. You target C, uh, your chief uh, technology officers, and you find someone who in that specific industry that is pretty well known in that space, right? They're considered an influencer, if you will, in that world, and you you and they're they're like a thought leader and they, your target market follows that person. Well, they're probably putting out good content out there, good videos, good posts, questions, whatever, and their target market is probably engaging or reading the comments. So mm-hmm. you want to go on there and start engaging on those key areas where they're hanging out, on the influence posts, dropping no pitching, but just peer value. Peer mm-hmm. value, you're responding back, you're showing them, you actually understand them, and you can help them. But there's, you're not pitching, you're not saying, hey, everyone, like, if you're a CTO, <laughs> I can help you. <laughs> Book a call. here. Here's my cow you're, you're not doing that. You're, do, you're doing none That's of that. So appealing. Whenever that, <laughs> yeah. So whatever people are, ultimately, you're just providing value. And it's insightful. It's well-written. It's easy to read. It's easy to digest. And if you've done a good job with that, people will check out your profile. It's on a post. They'll check out your profile. And if you're lucky, if you do a good job at everything else, they might send you a connection request etc you don't know right but what's happen- what's going to happen you can start attracting naturally people are going to start checking you out and approaching you etc It can be really powerful right same thing with hashtags industry same thing you do the same thing as well so that's really this is, is going to start generating some interest some eyeballs on you next what you want to start doing is you're, you're going to want to start converting those into connections Right. So let's Mm -hmm. just say, for example, you go on someone's uh, influencers post, you start engaging on there, you put some value, you get some eyeballs on you. So people are checking out your profile. They might send you a connection request. Maybe they don't. Let's just say they don't send a connection request, but you know, it's your target market you can see on there who's viewed your profile. Now Mm -hmm. you can send them a connection request and start opening a conversation. All right. And you can open that conversation. There's no pitching there, but this is how you start opening that conversation, getting in their minds. All right, that's more of a more of an inbound strategy. To start generating some inbound opportunities and make it into an outbound. What you can also do as well, and this is, this is it works much better if you use in Sales Navigator, is mm-hmm. you can also go and you can uh, you know create hyper-targeted list of your ICP, ideal mm-hmm. customer profile. And then from there, you can start sending connection requests, engaging on their content as well, and also send start doing outbound messaging as well. Really, really powerful. And then, of course, if you want to add an, another product to this strategy, which is really powerful, is creating your own content as a sales professional. Like if you, if you only depend on just your company, which you can, that's totally fine. But if you want to just take it to the next level of creating your own content, that can be a really powerful way to showcase those people that you are targeting that you actually know what you're talking about and you're not just like any other salesperson. Because the truth is this, putting out content is hard. It's hard, it's scary, it's intimidating. So very few people do that. So when there's a a blue ocean out there where no one is doing that in your industry as sales professionals, when you do it, you stand out in a good way. So that's how you start getting eyeballs and again where do the eyeballs go right where you know is where money flows so and it doesn't have to be anything crazy you start creating content that's useful and of value to your target market incredibly powerful so let's just say for example you're like oh that sounds really cool marcus but i don't know i don't know how to write content or what i should post about etc uh i don't well, that's okay you could write about customer experiences you could do you could. you can google like maybe let's say for example you target say hr professionals hr executives well you could literally google top issues hr executives face or go Mm -hmm. on amazon and look for the most common hr books out there so let's just say for example maybe one of them you know initially they deal with is turnover and maybe the book you find is the seven hidden reasons why employees quit or something like that okay beautiful you buy that book for $13, you read that book, and every single chapter, you write a post summarizing your thoughts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> they have 15 chapters, you have 15 posts to put out there, you can put one every other day if you want. Now you have a month's worth of content out of one book. So now when you are doing outbound to a prospect, uh, an HR exec, and they're checking you out, and they check out your profile, and they see these posts they're like, wow this person is really passionate about uh, helping out HR execs. They seem even know what they're talking about. So when you do an outbound message to them, they're going to be a little more open to have a conversation with you because they can tell you actually truly care and you actually really are passionate about helping people versus just being a spammy salesperson who's just in it for the money. So this is how you start selling like a leader and really truly helping serve other people versus just being in it for just the money. So that, those are a couple of things you can do right there from a social media perspective to start getting going pretty quickly, to start generating leads, booked meetings, and ultimately new partnerships that will lead to obviously more profits and more commission dollars.
0: Definitely. So, so much to unpack there. And something that I that I want to emphasize um, that, I, that I kind of caught as you were saying, this is just a, a, an individual version of that omnipresent strategy. That we were talking about at more of a company level, right? And right. this is making sure that where you need to show up, you're there. And like you said, if let's say all of your buyers follow a certain influencer and they have a community, they have a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group, or they post regularly on LinkedIn, and everybody in their industry comments and develop relationships and chats in the comments, and you never show up there. You, that's noticeable actually <laughs> versus right. if you consistently show up in those spaces and contribute to the conversation it could turn into so many things you could get invited to speak on a panel you could be interviewed on a podcast for example you that's right. um, and and when you talk about developing content it can be as simple as once you have these followers and you've got, um, you know, a decent community of people that are interacting with your content. Sometimes it's as simple as asking a question. Hey guys, what's the craziest thing that happened to you this week? What's the, you know, and then you could be very specific. Again, if you're selling to HR, HR professionals, what's the craziest story you have from the last few weeks? And Mm -hmm. it can generate a lot of just content that you don't even have to produce. Um, It can be very business oriented kind of questions or just kind of silly, more engaging ones. And people love to interact in ways that you're, creating a space. You think of how many times, you know, on Twitter or various other social media platforms, even to TikTok, something will become really popular where they'll just they'll they'll give you a little format and then you just do your own version. And then everybody starts to copy it. It turns into some sort of a meme. It goes all over the entire internet. And if you prompt people, a lot of times they will just take that prompt. And so it it can be really not as difficult as I think some people might be thinking to to start to interact. It's almost like you're just showing up at a networking event where all of your prospects are milling around. And you can't just walk in there and be like, buy from me. <laughs> but you can contribute to conversations and start conversations and get to know people. And eventually they're going to be like, wow, that's a, that's a great person. They seem to know what they're talking about. I need to buy something. I think they might sell it. Maybe I should reach out.
1: That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Because then ultimately... When people are coming to you, it's incredibly powerful. But even like when you when you start your content journey, to, I find it so powerful that if you are creating some content out there, whether it's a post or a blog post or a video or whatever, and now you're you're trying to nurture a process because maybe they're just not ready quite yet, you can send them something like, hey, took us a, I thought of you. You might like this post I, I just wrote the other day. Mm-hmm. Now you're getting positioned as an expert authority and you are truly, you have a reason to follow up. You're being helpful and you're showing them value.
0: And you can send that one post to a hundred different prospects. Exactly. You don't have to <laughs> write a ton of custom content for everybody. And that's, that's one thing that's really powerful about this. Again, whether it's your organization's content or you've developed something personally, think of all the different ways you could leverage it for the various people in your orbit. and. Something to think about also is if you think of the buyer journey or you think of the the engagement relationship that people have with you in concentric circles, and you're at the very middle of it, and there are some prospects that know you really well and know a lot about you and you know a lot about them. For those people, you're going to maybe need to be sending more custom emails and having more interaction. And the farther out it goes, the more generic things can be, and that's perfectly appropriate. And so... Um, there's there's so many people that you can be sharing a lot of this content with and it's going to guide them on that journey closer to you. But you don't have to sit there writing like 300 custom emails every single day.
1: Oh yeah. Well, I think on top of that as well is, um, you know, I think a lot of people under underestimate the power of properly using social social media and also utilizing the messaging platform within each one. Mm-hmm. Um, like when you think about like, you know, when you, when you make a call, someone, you you only hear their voice, which cold call is not dead. You still need to make calls out there. I, I you know, I'm not saying that you still got to make calls. Yes. You can still call the email for sure. It's very, very important. But the cool part is like, for example, like when you use a platform, like LinkedIn, you can send an audio message. You can send a video message. You can send attachments. I mean, you can do so much within a, the messenger just on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it from a noise perspective, I guarantee you like 99% of prospects out there get way more emails Uh than they get a message in their LinkedIn inbox or their Facebook message, you know, inbox. So, you know, again, you are going to the blue ocean, right, if you will, uh, to be able to get some eyeballs on you versus going in that red ocean of the email. Not to say cold meals doesn't work, but you just it's another channel to utilize to get attention so you can have a conversation about potentially partnering up.
0: Absolutely. That's a that's a really just small thing, but so incredibly powerful. Again, we're all getting Absolutely. hundreds of emails every single day. And um I get, you know, I definitely get LinkedIn messages every day, but not nearly as many as I get emails. And I actually read totally. all this. <laughs> totally
1: you're like and also the cool part is is like on linkedin you can see if they read it or not <laughs> like sometimes sometimes like you know depending on whichever software you're using you may not know if you they opened your email on linkedin are like yep they clearly <laughs> looked at my message <laughs>
0: Definitely. For better or for worse. But at least you have a sense of reality. That's right. right. Um, This has been a ton of fun, Marcus. And I'd I'd love to keep talking, but I'm looking at the clock and realizing we probably need to start winding down. So I want to ask you uh, a question I always like to end the podcast with, which is, do you have any resources that you would recommend to our listeners?
1: Yeah. You know, I think um, I'm a huge book nerd. Um, there's, there's a lot of resources out there. Uh-huh. You know, I think one of the things is, I'm a firm believer in this. Um, if you if you want to be real, if you're like, this is really for like, you know, professionals, entrepreneurs, whatever. If you want to be a great sales professional, a great entrepreneur, a great business owner, whomever, it always starts internal first. It always has internal first, right? So, uh, one of my favorite books about really peak performance is called "High Performance Habits" by mm-hmm. Brendan Burchard. Really powerful book because ultimately, when you are the best version of yourself, it's going to lead to you being better at your job. Really, really key.
0: Definitely, that's a that's a really great one, and um, I could not agree more. It's especially when it comes to things like habits. If you can't get a handle on your day-to-day work habits when you're at your current level of success, as your life gets more complicated, as you hopefully get promoted, as you maybe start your own business, I promise you life does not get any simpler. (laughs) And so building up those habits of high performance, um, whatever stage you are in your career, are always going to benefit you. That's a great one.
1: (laughs) Absolutely right. So I have a ton of books, but if if I just recommend just one book, that would be the book.
0: (laughs) Nice. All right, Marcus. If listeners want to learn more about you, where, sh- where can they find you?
1: Yeah, awesome. So a couple different spots. Uh, number one, uh, I'm probably most active on LinkedIn. I'm active on all platforms, but on LinkedIn, it's probably the easiest. Just look at Marcus Chan. It's going to be one of the first uh, first one on the Google search, probably the, the top one. Um, mm-hmm. You can also buy a website as well, which is uh, SixFigureSalesAcademy.com. On there, I got literally hours of free training It's free stuff, a bunch of free you know, videos and stuff that's going to help you uh, sell more and earn more.
0: Nice. Um, And I will say to your LinkedIn, um, you have an excellently optimized LinkedIn. So you are practicing (laughs) what you preach. For sure.
1: (laughs) It converts well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Marcus. This has been a lot of fun. It
1: was my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on.
0: And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything Marcus and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 318. As a reminder, if you subscribe to the show, you get every new episode as soon as it's posted. You can subscribe for free wherever it is that you're listening right now. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend this to a friend. That is the best way to help more people discover the show. And we love feedback. You could leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or email feedback, questions, or guest suggestions to podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!